From Hotel Room on Post Street in Holy Bolt, San Francisco, California, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. Steven is back home, waiting in line for a Nintendo Switch. And so, in this very special part one of two GDC 2017 episode, I talk to Martha about Train Jam, she talks to her fellow jammers about their games, and we also cover the first half of the conference as best we can anyway. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Special episode. Woo! <laughs> And we, for our special episode, we have a special guest. It's me again. Hello. <laughs> I guess it's not really again, since no one has heard me. Well, introduce I'm yourself. I'm Dylan. I'm Dylan Skirbitz. Uh, special reporter, Dylan Skirbitz. Yeah. Dylan, you uh, were on our unaired pilot. Yes, You helped correct. us out uh, getting our, uh, our sea legs Testing going. levels and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but we have you now officially on the program uh, to talk about uh, GDC stuff. First thing, Train Jam. You guys, the train two of you, jam. did Train Jam together. Yep. I want to hear all about it. Uh, train Jam is a game jam on the train from Chicago to San Francisco. Um, and it's three about three days long. Uh, we actually got in early, which was bad for the game <laughs> jam, because we're like, no, we need more hours. Why isn't the train? Like, all throughout, it was like, is the train going to be late? Is the train going to be late? Oh, wait, no, we're early. Well, yeah, this year there was there was an expectation that we yeah. may not even be able to do it at all because the snow had been so bad in Nevada and Northern California that there was a possibility that the California Zephyr just wouldn't be available. So the fact that it happened at all was cool, but to happen at all and to have an early arrival sort of put a lot of people's plans a little <laughs> bit on edge. So the deadline wasn't like a fixed time. It was like whenever we pull in to the station. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah, it adds an extra <laughs> level of uh, intensity to the train yeah. jam. So yeah. tell me about, just let's go through it bit by bit. What, uh, how does it start? So we started in Union Station in downtown Chicago. Um, and we were all in a big room all together. Um, Rami Ishmael was sort of like the gatekeeper to this room. Uh-huh. And that was pretty funny. He's and Ariel Wallach was and, the, yeah. the leader of the whole hoobah mm-hmm. of everything. Um. So she got up and talked, and a bunch of Amtrak people got up and talked. Uh, and then it was mostly like milling around, trying to find teams and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah. this wait, this was you. You gotten on the train by this point? No, no this no, is all on the yeah, station. Team formation and like proposals were done at the station. So oh, interesting. They had a, a loudspeaker set up so people could actually hear. Although, I mean, that was sort of iffy. Here yeah, is in we, quotes. Yeah, three hundred <laughs> people is a big train jam, no matter where you are, and especially in that situation with an echoey room and mm-hmm. just sort of the general level of excitement with you know people from all over. Yeah, we didn't hear a lot of the presentations. So, how did team formation go? At first, I thought it was going really badly. <laughs> um, we were in a, we were. Uh, the group of people we ended up t- were, were talking to before the theme was announced. So the theme was, what was the theme? It was unexpected anticipation uh, because that was sort of in keeping with this uncertainty about the snow and sort of the different trials that went into securing the train jam this year. Yeah, so that was the theme. And the group we would, were in uh, was with a lot of people who were affected by the travel ban, recent travel ban mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and so uh, one woman who was super cool and... I'm so glad that I got to meet her. Um, Tiara, she wants wanted to do a game about that. Yeah. And uh, I work for the government and so can't really comment on any of these things. And so I was like, well. Would have made I... for a difficult train ride <laughs> yeah. in one way. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe we have to find another group. And we're like wandering around and like, oh, no, this is the worst part of game jams is trying to find a group. Like I, both me and Dylan have anxiety about mm-hmm. that yeah part it's, of it's it. a weird situation because you know as a as a people i don't think game developers are particularly outgoing in that sense even in this this like a very safe space you know a place where really mm-hmm. people understand you it's still very difficult to like reach out and establish those connections initially yeah um especially for us being game developers and minnesotans yeah <laughs> it was quite the struggle uh but no, it went a lot better this time, I would say. You know, Global Game Jam was sort of all over the place. And this way, uh, yeah, we fell into place pretty quickly, I'd say. Yeah, well, we, we ha- started talking to this uh, developer named Wayne. And he had a whole notebook full of ideas that mm-hmm. he just like, generated by himself uh, when the theme was announced. And he was like, do you like any of these ideas? And Dylan was like, like pointed to one and was like, let's do that one. And 
So we did. <laughs> and then another developer, Matt, was walking around and also in the same situation, like, I don't know what I'm doing. We're like, do you want to join a group? And he's like, uh, yes, I do, please. So uh, we all sort of misfit toys found each other. Um, nice. And, and so then you, you had a team and then a little more waiting before you got on the train? Yeah, there was a sort of shuffling around. We we're supposed to divide ourselves into three groups, but that didn't really. Yeah, it was work. a pretty considerable wait, actually. It ended yeah. up being like over two hours. So, I mean, that was good in terms of just planning because that was really good. You know, since we didn't have access to laptops or anything, that was just pure brainstorming, like outlining how far we could go or how oh, far sure. we thought we could go in the train jam. So, that was a good. Good time, if a little bit disorganized. I mean, yeah, that's with a group it was, size, it was, yeah. to be expected. It was charming too. It was just uh -huh. like, oh, good. It's not. A, it's not like no one knows what they're doing. So it's it right, felt right. it felt good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Amtrak is really nice, and Adriel's a really good organizer, and so everything felt great. And then we got on the train, yeah. and it just started going, and, and then chugga chugga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what is the accommodations like? Uh, were you? I mean. Describe the physicality of it. Because that's the thing I'm most curious about is like every time I see pictures that people take on the train jam uh, in years past, it's always like outside the window, like look at this gorgeous thing we're passing. The thing is there are really sort of three settings and that really dictates how your group functions. So for mm -hmm. those of us, we, we got coach tickets. So we were just in regular train seating, you know, two to a side, uh, like uh, four across in a row. Sure. Um, so... For that, it was a real struggle for a lot of people, I think, to find, to be able to congregate their groups in a way that they were like positioned next to each other for for constant contact. Yeah. We were very lucky in that we just got a straight row of four for the four of us um, uh. with a little bit of awkwardness at the time, but it was fine. Um, but then there's the the lounge cars, which are set up in a more traditional like tables um, mm -hmm. and small like lounge area sense, which is very, I think that was conducive to a lot of people who who knew exactly what they wanted to do. Like it, it was prime property as it uh -huh. were. Um, so those were snagged almost immediately. And then the sleeping cars, uh, I guess we didn't really even see those. You know, we didn't, we, we didn't have anyone in our group who was in the sleeping car. So we didn't get a chance to really explore that side. And like, yeah, I've taken the Amtrak plenty of times. I've never been in a sleeping car. So that's sort of unknown. Territory <laughs> oh, for I didn't me. realize you'd never been. I've in never even oh. seen the inside of a sleeping car. I've, I've read oh. the Amtrak. I read the, Am the empire builder probably 16 times in high school and yeah never saw one it's a little more like being in an airplane while you're designing a game <laughs> but the, but you've got more space like you've got like we we took the plane to chicago and then immediately like three hours later got on the train so it was like very oh sure yeah, to compare. Uh, yeah I, i'm like, exaggerating it's i was like oh my like god that. there's so much there's so much room yeah the, <laughs> the seats actually go back a little bit uh-huh and um, then so you guys just slept in your seats then yep slept that's also in quotes. Uh -huh. Yep, yep. <laughs> so 72 hours, and like how much sleep did you think you got? Uh, it was like closer to 50-something hours. Oh, okay. But um, I think the second night I got more, way yeah, more. The, the first night was pretty rough. I, I maybe only slept about four hours or so. Second mm -hmm. night, it was, yeah, solid six or seven, something right. like that. I also slept during the day a lot. Martha, <laughs> I mean, I like, don't know what was happening. You you went into like full narcolepsy mode. Like I, I didn't. I felt bad for pointing it out, but there was that scenario where she was in the middle of googling something on her phone, and she kept falling asleep before she could click on the link. And she kept clicking on the long, wrong link, and then waking up, going back, selecting another link, and falling asleep before she had completed what she was going for. So and uh, but you had enough time to work. I mean, tell us, tell me about the game, about the, the that working process with with two new people too that you only had just met. Yeah. Um. So our game is called Flashbang. Um. And it's Wayne's a, original name was so much better. I what was his name? It was he was originally going to call it Flash Fight, which I thought was a very what? clever name. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would have. I just put Flashbang. I was, yeah, I was just throwing out names. And he went with that, and I was like, "Wait, ah, oh, I'm so sorry." Our name is Flash Fight. Yeah, like sure. Flash Light, but Flash Fight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what else could it be? Right. <laughs> well, it's Flashlight Tag. Yeah, so it's a four-player split-screen game. Um, it's 3D set in sort of like a like a house environment with very, very low lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, each player has a flashlight uh, that uh, consumes battery life while it's on. Um, and if they catch any other players in the light of the flashlight, that other player's out or dead, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, last player standing wins. So tell me about like this schedule of events. Like, How did you structure? What did you start with? It was pretty easy to divide like what Dylan was doing because he's doing sound. And then, and I think Wayne similarly. Wayne was, Wayne was all all on three D modeling. So like mm -hmm. from the very beginning, like we had very clear goals. And yeah, mine was just sort of trying to find a 
atone for it. And his was really, yeah, getting that, that person to look the way he wanted. Mm-hmm. And then um, me and Matt were the programmers on it. And he took most of like the game state to like, like here's how, starting the game, pausing the game, like all of that sort of like managing when you, someone won or lost. Sure. Uh, and then I was like the sort of mechanics person. So I got the person to move the flashlight to turn on and off and stuff. And then I did UI. Mm-hmm. And that's he, a good division of labor yeah. for programming. Cause I know in a game jam particularly, it's sometimes like, what can I do? Like, and you yeah. just do what's available to do, but that seemed like a nice division. We had like the perfect yeah, skill honestly, set. If I was, yeah, if I was going to pick four people's skill sets, I think we absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Except maybe I was superfluous, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more about that later, Dylan. Dylan but I don't you, think you were our first podcast all about imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh yes. I, I, I heard it. I identify completely. That's, that's my entire purpose. This, this whole thing. Well, and for you, this is your second game jam and like, you're really, you're diving in. So, yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, do you feel, like, more confident now? I mean, like, going forward, do you think you're going to maybe do some programming in the next one? We'll see. I think, yeah, Unity is definitely, like, it exerts more of a draw on me now that I, I feel like I understand a little bit about how, like, C-sharp in general works. Yeah. Um, I still think that I will have more fun doing the music side. Sure, like, sure. I really... Both both of these game jams, I enjoyed so much. Like everything I did, it's a blast. Even even sound effects, which are not in my wheelhouse, I had a blast <laughs> doing. Even if I couldn't quite nail it the way I thought I I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So then, when you pulled in, what was the the mood? Did were you done? No, no, no. We were no, we're, we were not, not done. <laughs> I think the whole experience was really great, and so to me, it doesn't matter if the game was totally done or not. Yeah. Like we got to meet so many cool people and working in the train was so fun because like you would be working on something and then anytime you looked up, there'd be some beautiful vista like just over here of some like mountain or rocks mm. oh, or yeah. just like nothing for miles until these huge like uh, rock formations coming off out, up, out of the horizon. Like so perfect. <laughs> the best way to do a game jam, I would say. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just yeah, yeah, it really was. You know, watching the the landscape sort of go in and out of winter as the train meandered was just, it, yeah, it was it was astonishing. Especially for someone, yeah. Again, I've taken a lot of Amtrak's, and most of those are the Empire Builder, which is like Montana, North Dakota. You can't get much more boring than that route. So just coming <laughs> through and you know seeing the Rockies, seeing like all of the. Yeah, the desert, you know, desert's covered in snow because of, like, the freak weather conditions. Just really, really beautiful. And there were some people on the train who had never seen snow before. Wow. Which is so, it was so cute watching them, like, get out and, like, touch snow for the first time <laughs> and have their first snowball fight. Yeah. And one one person got off the train with, uh, he had flip-flops on. And we're like, why are you in flip-flops? And he's like, I just want to see what, oh, that is cold. <laughs> <laughs> And you said you met a lot of new people and you talked to a couple of them. Yes, right? we have a bunch of interviews with some of the people who are in our car. You'll get to hear them coming up next. What, what's your name? Yeah, I'm Arvind from Pyrodactyl Games, uh, a studio based in Jaipur, India. It's my first time, you know, cross in a cross-country train ride. Oh my gosh. Yeah, feeling pretty good. <laughs> Surprisingly more pleasant than I thought. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, like just seeing all these sites is so awesome. And like you, I think it's actually good because like, uh, you know, normally if you're game jamming, you don't have like, like you, you, if you get bored, what, what are you going to do? Just walk around a bit and then come back here. It's like, oh, hey, I can look at these mountains. <laughs> yeah, so, the scenery is so gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. And I mean, if we even managed to get a game working in about like what? five or six hours before deadline so yeah I'm feeling pretty awesome right now that's so great what's your game about (laughs) okay so my game is called Zombies on Demand we are a team of four Team Zord that's Seth Steve uh, Charlie and me we made a strategy game you are an evil corporation Zombies on Demand and an outbreak happens in your company headquarters so you quickly gotta research a cure but in the meantime zombies are overfilling your company HQ so before they get to your research labs 
you got to ship them out to places which are which have eager zombie hunters waiting to fight them but you cannot send out too many at once because then the zombies will just win so it's a it's a key balancing act keeping your hq clear while making sure you know that all of humanity doesn't die <laughs> that's so cool yeah and once you have a cure you have both the zombie outbreak and the cure so that's all you need because science <laughs> because science yep. that's great <laughs> <laughs> My name's Andrew Schuldeis. I'm from Halifax in Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, home in Halifax. Yeah. What is the game that you're working on? Uh, I am working on a game with a couple other people. It's a non-linear narrative about an awkward first date where you look at a surreal and slow-moving landscape in the background. That's so awesome. <laughs> It's a little weird, but I, I think it fits the theme in this sort of oblique way. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and what's your favorite thing about Train Jam? Seeing friends that you haven't seen in a long time. The games community is so spread out that you can meet someone one year, maybe see them another time that year, and by the time you see them a third time, you are best friends, even though you've only met twice before. It's very strange, and everyone is extremely supportive and friendly and cuddly, and it's just a really nice community to be a part of. Uh, hi, I'm Kate. Uh, I come from London originally. We are making a game called Post Burb. It is about a bird that carries post around a forest and delivers it to all his little forest friends. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and the art is really cute. Um, and um, what's your favorite thing about Train Jam? My favorite thing about Train Jam is seeing all the people that I haven't seen in ages because it's the one thing that everyone tends to come to. I do live quite a long way away. That's awesome. Well, is there uh, any place anyone, uh, people, listeners can find your work? Um, I post most things I do on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at How Not to Draw, which everyone's been pointing out is not very fair since I've been doing all the art for the game. But um. <laughs> I'm Kate Compton. I'm from Santa Cruz, California. And what have you been working on for Chain Jam? Uh, for the last two days, I was working on a computational model of how linguistics evolves, and that was not as fun as I thought it was. So now I'm making a little miniature train. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> um, what have you liked about Train Jam so far? I really like the scenery. <laughs> Every time I look outside the window, it's something else really amazing. People at home, imagine that you're looking out on really beautiful snow-covered Rocky Mountains right now, because that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> um, and you do lots of stuff with um, AI and um, robots yeah. and stuff Procedural like that. Procedural content, generativity, and Twitter bots. I like, uh, to, to quote one of my friends, um, Uh, procedural generation is making things that make things. So I like to make things and see them come to life. And uh, the best thing that happens is they make other things. Uh, my name is Alice Carlson, and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Woo! <laughs> um, and what game are you working on? Uh, I'm working on a game called Ultimate Train Fighter uh, 2600. <laughs> um, and it is a... Exploration game where you're constantly interrupted by loading screens with mini games on them. So the game ends up being more about playing these mini games, waiting for loading screens, than actually playing the actual game. That's awesome. <laughs> And what's your favorite thing about Train Jam? Uh, I think getting to meet people from like all over the place. Uh, it's really cool. Like uh, on Twitter, I see like all the communities of people on you know in Chicago and in you know Portland and all over the place. And then having everyone like together on a train is super awesome. So. My name is Tiara, also known as Creatrix Tiara, most places. And where are you from? I am originally from Malaysia and currently live in Australia. Awesome. <laughs> and what is your game about? My game is based on the recent travel ban and all the executive orders about traveling. You play as someone preparing for their flight overseas and every so often the TV pops up with some new restriction or other that affects your planning and also affects your decision making about whether you go on a flight or not. Wow, that's really intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just basically channeling my angst about coming down to Train Jam, you know, as someone who was on a who's on a passport that isn't affected by the ban but could be, and just the weeks between that all of that happening and coming up here, not even really knowing if I'll be allowed through the border or not. So it's kind of autobiographical in some ways. Wow, 
Well, I'm glad you made it. <laughs> Yay, me too. All that eggs. I, actually, it was like five minutes through immigration. Like, really? After all that build up, it was slightly disappointing that it wasn't more dramatic because everyone was tense. I was like, oh. I'm I'm fine. Nothing happened. You're like screen me, screen me. No. Like, yes, I want to be a hashtag. I want a social media campaign around me, please. But no, alas. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing about Train Jam? Oh wow, my favorite thing about Train Jam it hits like a lot of buttons for me. Like it's a road trip, and everyone is here on the same mission as you. You is every, is everything's really creative. You're working on projects, and you get to see new things and meet all of these awesome people. And I wish it did not end so quickly because I feel like I just hit my groove. Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Hang sorry. on. Yeah. We'll edit this. Okay. <laughs> I'm Matthew Finletter and I'm from around uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You were in my groups um, and we already talked a little bit about what the game was about. So what was right. your role in the group? So I did a lot of programming. <laughs> it's like so it's like some, some of the game state stuff and like setting up the scene, all programming related. Yeah, you're like master programmer, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what was your favorite part about changing? Um, well, I, I like the scenery and I like how close, how like everyone's in such close proximity, like game developers on top of game developers on top of more game developers. And I thought that was cool. <laughs> it's like where you could like, if you just go up and like go to the bathroom, you might see a dozen great looking games all being built simultaneously. I thought that was cool. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it's been a different experience than like any other game jam I've been a part of. So yeah. Oh, 52 hours is a nice amount of time, though. I still... This is the one time where I would have liked if the train was delayed. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. So my name is Stefan, uh, Stefan Lobozanski. Uh, our group is Hannah, Alex, and Indy, and John, but I don't know the last name, so uh, you can edit that out. Uh, <laughs> the game we're working on, it's called Time Twins, and essentially it is a two-player competitive game where you are trying to go forward and grab objects, uh, historical figures, and drop them in your time portal to take them back to either like save or uh, stop them. And the key mechanism in the game is uh, you can control your movement for only five seconds, and then the opponent can manipulate your timeline for one of those five seconds, and then it recalculates your new position. So essentially you need to know where to manipulate someone's timeline so that they'll run into walls or other obstacles um and uh it's largely experimental we're not sure on the gameplay yet uh we're just finally getting our first playable so we have a lot of tweaking to do and not much time so hopefully we can get it all compounded together um so that's pretty much it for the game and then for what i like about train jams so i've done a lot of game jams before uh this is probably my eighth or ninth at least um and for me, Train Jam's cool because, one, the environment is neat. It's a very different setting. Um, another one is the people. People are really diverse. They're from all around. Um, just you know, interacting with people whose games I've played and just chatting and getting inspiration. Even if it's not for my, like, the game we're currently working on, it's just great as knowing what's, what's happening and what their thoughts are. Um, and I also like, I kind of actually like the fact we don't have internet because it's less of a distraction and it makes it interesting in how you have to adapt and change. Mm -hmm. So all those like small little problems add up to a unique experience, which is definitely different from other game jams I had. Um, next time, if, if I was going to do it again, which I definitely am highly considering, um, I think I would want to try to get people from like lots of different countries because I can't normally do that in game jams. Mm -hmm. um, the people I got are they're most of them are students and they're you know all from the United States, which is nice. It's it's nice working from people from around the United States, but I think I would want to work with people from just completely different countries and cultures and just get a really different mix. Um, and I think that would be an interesting obstacle and maybe lead to some really interesting uh, games. So yeah, definitely, that's awesome. And so you, you get into San Francisco, and you're tired, and now we have a full week of conference. It's, uh, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night, second day of the conference. A lot of stuff has happened. I feel like we have so much still to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, why don't we get into a little bit of it? On Monday night, last night, Martha, you and I went to Day of the Devs, 
Um, so Day of the Devs, uh, it's a thing put on by I Am 8-Bit and Double Fine. Um, a bunch of uh, um, soon-to-be-released games are showcased on the GDC floor outside the expo. So it's just uh, you know near the sessions. And um, last night at the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, um, a bunch of those games were presented on the big screen, and the developers were there to do some commentary, play little bits um, you know, to an audience. And Martha, you and I went to that. I had a good time, right? Yeah. Like, what was your what was your favorite thing you saw there? Um, it was cool to see Ooplets. Yeah, that was that's super like cute. My favorite game, <laughs> our favorite to be coming soon game. Uh-huh. I was so bummed because uh, now I'm like very conscious about how I'm talking to my microphone because I'm just about to make a comment about microphones. Um, it was so sad because the the devs like the microphone was too far away from them, and so yeah. they could we couldn't hear what they were saying. And I was so bummed because I was like, oh, I want to know what Rebecca has to say. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked yeah. uh, what was it? Rhyme is that the name of it? I'm forgetting all the titles of these games. Uh, Which one was that the one? The little boy going through this sort of um, oh yeah like bleached white stone environment. It was a puzzle game, sort of a puzzle third person adventure game. Like man, that looks great like it was i'm just staring like i have nothing to say it's so good i wish yeah that's one where i wish the developer hadn't talked because this the whole feeling of that game was loneliness but Uh also like this 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 little boy walking through this grand architecture i don't know it felt so like you're the point of it was to get a feeling more than a story and um like a journey sort of situation it was a lot like journey actually yeah exactly so yeah, that is a beautiful game. Let's see, what was some of the other ones? Oh, M- Minico's Night Market? Yes. I'm, I was just looking up all the titles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, uh, that one is full of cats. Um, you grow cats. Yes. All right, I'm in. <laughs> you farm cats, and then you take, and then you ride, there's like a bunch of mini games. You ride cats. Uh, you, race against, you race on a cat against a cat riding another cat. It's super cute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like the main game loop of it is that you're like making things and crafting things that you then sell at the night market. Mm-hmm. And um, like you have to try to sell um, stuff to people. So you have all these dialogue trees where it's like you have to say the right thing, otherwise they won't buy your stuff. But like, I don't know. It's just the whole thing of it is so cute. And if you, if you have, if you, you can go fishing, there's a whole fishing thing. Mm-hmm. And if you have a fish, all the cats in the town start following you around. <laughs> I was really hoping that you were going to say that you catch cats with the fishing because I, oh I just my God, want, I want yes. this to be a cats all the way down thing. It's <laughs> funny. Parts of it do feel that way though where it's just, I mean, there's a great part where there's like a, a flatbed truck full of cats that are just going somewhere and you see them go off screen and then later in the demo, you're, you're walking through an area and you see the same car but instead the driver is tied up in the back and 20 cats are in the cabin <laughs> driving the car and it goes off screen and then the character he's walking and then you hear off screen a crash and then you, you walk the character walks back and all the cats are gone but the driver is still there then he goes this is my life now <laughs> <laughs> just like it's so charming and it's there is gameplay but that seemed like the least interesting part about yeah, it yeah definitely but that is not to its detriment like <laughs> it's just a super charming fun looking game the big theme of of the night I thought was uh, not all the games, but a lot of them were from the perspective of children. Mm-hmm. Like there, um, there's a, uh, what was the game? Nights on bikes. Nights and bikes. Yeah. That was, it's a, a two uh, little girls playing make believe, but it's real. I think people will recognize their own childhood in, in, in it. Um, very funny. Lots of cool little charming vignettes. Um, I think people, I think people will really like that game. When it comes out. There's this one little mini game in it where you're, you have, like each little girl has one of these like super manly macho uh, wrestling dolls and they like wrestle with each other. But you can also do like there's a button to make them kiss. It's <laughs> pretty great. It lo- that's what was fun about it is it had very relatable cuteness to it where I think a lot of the things were um, like in a game where you just stuff it full of cats. It's internet cute, which is a legitimate thing to do. <laughs> but I think this one was cute in a way that felt more grounded. I thought, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That that more wholesome feel, like it's it's genuinely about an experience, not necessarily yeah. just cute for cute's sake. Right, right. You smile instead of laugh. Mm-hmm. I added, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I will say I, there's one that I didn't like as much, and I think it's probably I think it's within the purview of Nice Games Club for me to make the criticism about it. But um, what was it? Pyre. 
which yeah, I also didn't like that it one. It was much. a really interesting premise. So it's kind of a fantasy world where you play kind of a, I guess, like a disembodied character that meets these other characters that you have to. It's RPG. You put them into battle against other characters, but instead of like an RPG battle, it's like a little sport. It's like a little kind of rugby oh, basketball I've thing. I've seen stuff for this. It looks fascinating. It's, so, yeah, well, tell me about the it. The gameplay is really interesting, and it has a lot of fiction and lore around it. And it, it has a, But the problem I had with it was it had this weird, crazy mismatch of art styles that drives me kind of crazy. It's all really good stuff, just two different types, or in this case, like three or four different art styles all crammed together, and that made it really difficult, and I felt there was a little bit too much um, RPG text dialogue boxes, and there's even a part where <laughs> that was really funny. Where there, uh, there's a vo- there's a really great voice actor doing voiceover who says something like, "The battle begins now," and then there's like six text boxes before it actually starts. Wow! <laughs> and I'm like, that is just the metaphor for this thing. Like, <laughs> you feel this is sort of similar, Martha, or did you just feel differently about? Um, I just, I guess I don't like like pure fantasy ish things uh, very much. Okay. And so the story like I was like, I don't care about the story. <laughs> but the gameplay looks kind of fun. Like yeah. it's I like sport like one of my favorite kids games was back all the backyard sports games. Uh-huh. Um so actually I actually find sports games kind of fun. Um and this seemed kind of like that simple like simple mechanics, but like all done in a really interesting way. Like you had to pass the ball. You could only control one character at a time. And they had to pass the ball back and forth um, and then try to get it into this fire. Um, and it was like seemed pretty, like pretty fun gameplay. Yeah, it seemed like simple to learn, but mm-hmm. wholly unique. Yeah. Like it didn't feel, it felt like, oh, this reminds me of nothing in particular, but I totally get it. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's the thing is I was trying to find an analogy when I first, when I watched the first like trailers for yeah. it and just trying to, you know, like wrap my head around it because it is, it really does seem pretty pretty easy to understand but like trying to draw that analogy saying mm-hmm. it's like such and such you know i was going through my mind trying to think of of yeah anything like backyard baseball or like almost like it's got a little bit of like a wind jammers feel almost in mm-hmm. like how you sort of can adapt and like learn these these styles but yeah that was the thing that fascinated me as someone who does really enjoy like the traditional fantasy sort of yeah the whole trappings of that but mm-hmm. then that sort of married to this like odd little sports game to me was yeah it was very intriguing Mm -hmm. and i'm curious to see how that plays out yeah i guess maybe that's why i was so disappointed in it because there's so many things that are just really good yeah that i felt like oh but but uh, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i mean i'm that's my problem when it comes to like evaluating games is i will let things disqualify themselves for me like and i always know like well if only, if only I was less picky, I would have loved this thing. Yeah. But it's t- too bad, I guess. So I, it'll find an audience, I'm certain, because it does have a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I might pick it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also saw a bit of Tacoma. That was fun. It was I, I lots of spinning. Yeah, lots of spinning. There was some technical. Di- there was lots of technical difficulties. <laughs> like like Martha, you were talking about the microphones and the. But everyone kind of. It was so charming. Yeah, every, I mean, it was when you're in a theater of people. Like if you're in a press conference at E3 when that happens, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. When you're in a theater of people, it's a shared joke, you know. And that was a lot of fun. I think even when the things went wrong. Tacoma was cool. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it, Dylan? Uh, the name rings a bell. I don't. I don't. I don't it's you're on a spaceship, and they've got or like a space station, mm-hmm. and there's all these AR things, um, not in the real world, but in the game. Like your character is seeing all these AR, AR like menus and things like this, and also the space station. It's all like space station UI, and it like records everything you do. So you get sort of um, what's that game that you play in New York City? What? The Division. Oh, wow. Okay. That was not where I was expecting this to go. <laughs> oh, well, you know how in The Division, um, you can, when you walk past a certain place, um, you can see like memories of something that happened yeah, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a similar thing in this where um, the space station has recorded everything that's happening. And so you're tra- I think it's like a mystery and you're trying to figure out what's yeah, happened. It's very and much so- in the spirit of the, the game's predecessor from the company, uh, Gone Home. So it's you arrive to a place, nobody else is there, and you're meant to piece together a story that happened. And the mechanic is wholly different from how Gone Home did it in that you have all these recreations, um, which Martha described, which are really interesting and it allows them to use kind of um, a set of like iconography for different characters and stuff rather than having like realistic character models. And, and that gives a sense of uh, disassociation for you as the observer. 
And they, it's everything they've shown is just, even what we saw was just teasing. Like there's very little about what is actually going on in this game. And so I think it all relies on the execution of that story. The story is really what's going to make it succeed or fail, more so than the gameplay or anything else about it. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting because at the event, the developer was talking a lot about how he, like some of the technical things behind making it, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. Like you can rewind and fast forward and scroll through the memories of the, of the spaceship. And he was like, oh yeah, those are, you're literally going through the animation like frame by frame when you do that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Rather than build it as an effect, yeah. they just actually built it as a real tool yeah. that you could use as the character. Mm. Yeah. We had a pretty great time. So what else did we do this week? Lots of talks. Oh, yes. GDC itself. Uh, yeah. Um, Martha, you and I and Dylan, you did a, went to one or two, right? Yeah. I mean, I only have an expo pass, so GDC proper hasn't really started for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went to a talk on OpenGL, which was a little over my head, but it's all, you know, great uh-huh. stuff. Some of those t-shirt. are sometimes the best so, ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got a t-shirt? Yeah. Win-win. <laughs> nice. <laughs> tell tell about um, what they were talking about, because it was super interesting. Yeah. So they're, um, it's by the Kronos group, which is uh, K-H-O- K H R O N O S, and they're sort of an independent, uh, like essentially just a work group um, that's sort of sponsored by a bunch of large companies, by Mozilla, by Unity, um, and their goal is developing uh, a standard for VR on the web. Uh, mm-hmm. So they do OpenGL, but they're also working on OpenVR and stuff like that. Um, and so essentially, it's it's a an API that's going to be um, a layer between. It's actually two layers. Uh, they have a whole structure which you can find on their stuff, um, but it's essentially two layers of their own API between uh, engine work with either uh, Unity, uh, they're working with Unreal, with OpenVR, and essentially just trying to establish um, a way for VR development to be universal for the web. Yeah. So that any, and not just for the web even, you know, that any any VR work that you do on any engine should, uh, if you're working within their uh, their API, um, should be able to be accessed and used by any VR hardware. So their goal nice. is to develop just sort of a standard that everyone can use to ensure that this stuff shows up properly mm-hmm. across all the different um, all the different hardware standards that are currently out there. So it was, it was very interesting. You know, they were demonstrating a lot of the power of OpenGL as it stands right now in web development, and just how uh, yeah, one of the one of the presenters was just showing how. Even with a MacBook Air, you can pull off these pretty incredible VR stunts, essentially, yeah. and on websites. And yeah, a lot of you know the technical stuff was a bit over my head, but it was a really interesting drive, especially considering uh, the talk that you were at um, that was trying to do a similar thing. Yeah, were you at that talk? Uh, uh, the Tech Toolbox? Maybe, one? yeah. The, the tur- I can't remember. Turbo Button? Yeah, Turbo Button. Yeah, yeah. they have a library called oh. T-Butt. <laughs> Which is like, I'm rolling my eyes, but I'm like, you know what? It's the right choice. Um, Which is an abstraction layer for uh, all the VR headsets. um, I think it's open source, but uh, right now it's working really well in Unity, but it's not exclusive to Unity. The idea is that you just build your project, and whether you're doing it for Vive or Oculus or Daydream or presumably future hardware, you can test and deploy on any other hardware, um, which helps with development costs, but also you can export out to any of those uh, with this from a single project, which is kind of a big deal um, because uh, for two reasons. One, it's just the the hassle of maintaining like a larger code base or larger project environment. And then also um, one of the things that they talked about, which was interesting, is that when you work with, for example, Daydream with Google, if you want any kind of like uh, placement or assistance from Google, they have certain guidelines, which is that they don't want extra code and extra like garbage in the, the, the compiled application, which means they don't, they don't want any of those like Vive calls even if they're not doing anything just because that's bloat and that's not good practice so this plugin when you swap the the hardware that you're targeting will actually dynamically load and unload all the sort of related plugins and stuff um which just sort of and it just abstracts it entirely from the developer and they can just get busy on their project which is really exciting it's like rewired yeah it's like (laughs) yeah like that's a big deal and the fact that they're open sourcing it is really exciting yeah they're just giving it away and they're like they want community input too which is that's great and they want you to write but in your code a lot. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good goal. Yeah. That was pretty good. Um the uh one of the, the one that I I thought was really fun also was uh everything I said was wrong, which was a 
a cool panel discussion, or no, it was a series of talks about um, uh, developers got up and said, hey, this is advice I used to give. Here's why I was wrong. And here's how I'd revise it. And I thought that was pretty good. It was sort of in good spirit. You know, it was basically saying like, listen, you get a lot of different advice. Let's contextualize it a little bit. And it was sort of nice to hear. Yeah, I was so glad I went to that. It was one of the first talks I went to. Mm -hmm. And it has it has informed my listening to all the other talks I've gone to this week. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, you're saying that in very absolute terms. I am very suspicious of you now. Is um, that the one that I saw the slides from Rami on that said all all advice is bad advice. Yeah. Bad advice is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I described it on Twitter as a, a, a two-act play. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> and I thought it was really interesting when he um, talked about an article he wrote a long time ago called Games Should Be Games Again. And he described, it was a, a thing he said, which was like, listen, we don't need to be these big narrative things. We should just focus on core mechanics. And that should be, Stephen would really like that, I think. Yeah, when I was saying that, I was like, yeah, oh, wait, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> and I was in, that was one of the things he said like you know that was advice I used to believe so strongly and I was just totally wrong which isn't to say that he believes the opposite now but that that being a, such yeah, a, that a directive is... and it's so interesting because you do I mean when you are starting out when you don't have a lot of your own success to draw upon you really do look to other people and it's hard to know when to assign the authority that's the phrase he uses like granting authority to somebody who's telling you the, their own story or telling you how to write your own story yeah, he was also talking about when you're giving advice, you can't control if someone's going to give you authority yeah. on that advice and then who's going to hear it and how they're going to take it. Um, he told the story about how he went and met this production team from, I can't remember what country they're from. They had seen a very sarcastic talk by his friend about like this satirical company making this really bad way to manage their company so they had everybody in charge of someone else and like they had four projects going at once and all these sort of things well, sounds like all the companies i've worked at yeah <laughs> um but they didn't know it was sarcasm so they based their entire business model oh off of God. this talk yeah <laughs> and That's, that story is too good to be true yeah <laughs> but I, I mean i guess it was and like it, it shows i guess that shows that like you can serve you can operate under the worst conditions yeah. I mean, they were probably not geared for success, but like they believed that. And there was nothing around them in their experience to tell them that that was wrong. It reminded me of one of the other person's talks in that same uh, panel that sometimes when you hear someone say, give you advice like, oh, we did it this way, we succeeded because of we did it this way, they didn't, maybe they didn't necessarily succeed because they did it that way, they succeeded in spite of doing it that way. Right, and it's yeah. very easy to take that as, this is the way to succeed, when yeah. in fact it's just, this is a way that we succeeded. Right, right. And I think that's, what's interesting about that bit of wisdom is that it, it, it ties into another talk I went to, the, to find things that you care about, that are your core values as a developer, as a designer, as an artist, as, as whatever you are. And whether that's a, a um, you know, a con a something you believe in um, philosophically, politically, or whatever, or just something you want to do, like I am going to make strategy games. Like, it, you know, find the things that matter to you, and then judge all your actions against them. Because it's very easy to get tied up with, oh, this is the new thing I'm going to do that, or this is the popular thing, or this is how to be successful. And even if you do believe it, and even if it's right, like that might not align with your core value. And I think that like that notion of like maybe we're successful in spite of these things. I think that combined with the talk I heard later would, that teaches me that like, I mean, maybe not just do whatever, but like focus less on the, on putting the puzzle piece in the right spot and, and more on like judging your own results uh, based on your own evaluation, I guess, like what you want from it, do what you want to do. Maybe even if you don't know if it's going to be successful, it was, I guess it was just comforting to hear that uh, talks like that. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me of not only in your, uh, if you're uh, working by yourself, but like with team management, um, having the, having something concrete to work, to judge things against. Yeah. Uh, it's really helpful. I went to a talk by, her name's Ruth and she's from Oculus and Last year, Danica would not shut up about how awesome Ruth from Oculus was. <laughs> and I went to her talk and I was like, oh, I see why uh -huh. why everyone was so excited about her. Um, and she has this theory about uh, making pillars of your game and then deciding. Uh, so the pillars would be like 
three things that from your design document that are like the most important that you want people to get out of your game. Like this is a platformer. We want people to, I don't know, like the, the short, like three description, three sentence description of your game. Mm-hmm. And then be like, okay, does this feature help us get to these three or four things yeah. that we want everyone at the end? We want, this is the goal that we want at the end people to get out of our game. Um, does this support that or is it extraneous? Mm-hmm. And then prioritize your tasks like that. So that was really interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah. That uh, like if you take that advice too seriously, and that was one of the things too. And everything I said was wrong. Is the idea of pendulums about like advice that you can overinterpret, and then yeah. you need to pull back a little bit. But I think with that, when you have like this thing, you judge it against. Like that's actually very much about the waterfall method. Is to like be very rigid about that. But with uh, so whenever I hear about um, people uh, talking about how great agile is, I'm like, but but you need to have something to go back to some reason you started on this path. And so it's nice that people are not forgetting that. Oh, she was like too many people are using agile and right. places that don't need to be using agile. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, her basic point was like, it doesn't matter what kind of project management or production methodology you use. It does not matter. Right. You can make things in whatever one It's just that your team has to trust what you're doing. And, you have to try to get rid of ambigu- all the ambiguity by the end of your production. Yeah. When yeah. you release your game, there should be no ambiguity left. You should know everything about it. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, there should be lots of ambiguity because you're like trying to figure out what this game is. Right. But still I, have the like the way you the way you pare it down to a point is like figuring out what your core game thing is and then communicating that to your team and making sure everyone is like on board. Yeah, and that was another, actually that's relates really well to another part of this this uh, talk about core values that I went to, where the presenter um, she was saying that when you work with a team, it's not important that your team shares your values necessarily, only that you communicate it to them and that they understand it. And I think that was also really good to hear because I think in an artist driven medium like when you're an indie, you will, I know that like you know when there's not a lot of money around and you want to work with somebody, you you want them to have buy in, you want them to like believe in the thing you believe in. And that is, that is an impediment because everybody wants to sort of express themselves, right? And so it's nice to know that you can still do that. And if you can get, you don't need to get people to like share your exact desire. You just need them to believe in you, I guess. And that was, again, that was also good to hear. Yeah, well, I guess one of the other points in the talk mm-hmm. that I went to too was like, if, you're, if you put someone in charge of something, they have to have buy-in because otherwise- right. And that you can put someone who doesn't maybe know if like you're on a larger team and you have like choices on who you put in charge of something that like putting in the person who is the most bought in, even if they don't have the most skills is more. Oh, okay. Sure. um, Like they need both responsibility and power. Yeah. 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 I know that. I mean, when I've thought about things like that, it's uh, when you want to work collaboratively, um, you can give people, you can pay them in in that power. And sometimes that either means that they buy into your core vision or you give them some latitude to help shape it, I suppose. Right? And I guess it's like every project is going to be a little different about how much of that you're going to spread around. Yeah. Right? But yeah, that's really good. Like the, that you want people who can execute on it like either to their standard or to yours. And it's less necessarily about who has the most experience at that task. Yeah. I guess. Probably breeds better working relationships because maybe more you'll have more problems, but you could probably solve them faster. <laughs> yeah, and you can always reverse decisions. Like, oh sure, but as long as someone made the decision, even if it's the wrong one, yeah, then it helps. Any other highlights? Um, I've got a couple. I feel like we're never going to stop talking. I know we could just go on forever. Yeah, um, you find the one that you think is good priority. There's one I want to talk about just quickly again because I think <laughs> one of the biggest themes about GDC so far is I keep hearing things I wish Stephen could hear. Like, uh, Stephen, we miss you so badly. <laughs> and <laughs> <Steven>. I, <laughs> I went to a talk about um, uh, the animation process for Cuphead. And Cuphead is a 2D platformer. It's kind of a boss rush game where um, uh, you fight a bunch of different bosses. And um, the, um, but it's all done in the style of 1930s cartoons. It's drawn by hand on paper. Uh, they, they ink it in Photoshop. They admitted to everybody and they said like, <laughs> but, um, it, all the music is done by a live, uh, jazz band. It's very, it's authentic to that style. And the talk was essentially about the animation style, about how 
you know, this is, this is how we draw this to look like Popeye or olive oil or whatever. And it was really fascinating to learn about their animation process and how in games, you, you know, you, you're always interrupting animations. And so it, when, when you're trying to do something really fluid and bouncy, like this 1930s style, how do you make that work? And it's interesting to talk about that. But um, uh, at the studio, they, they, the, the, the lead animator uh, that was talking also does um, some uh, uh, mechanics design. It's a little bit more, uh, people wear different hats. And so he talked a lot about uh, creating bosses. And that made me think a lot about Fingents because I know that's something that those guys are really like interested in. And so I, I, I took as many notes as I could to bring back to them about like, you know, their approach. Um, uh, not because I, frankly, not because I think Fingents, the Fingents team really needs to learn anything about it because they're very good. But I just want to, I'd like to compare with how they uh, tackle those same questions because that's not something I've done in any of my development work is, is, is that type of gameplay. Um, but I was super fascinated by that. And it's really fun to see, go to a talk for one reason and then get something different out of it, right? That's awesome. Because it also happens very often that you go to a talk expecting something and you get something, you don't get that. And sometimes that can be a bummer because you've invested so much time and you've been like wrestling, which one do I go to, which one do I go to? And then you find out like, oh, this was good, but it wasn't what I expected it. So should I go to the other one? And like conference scheduling is so frustrating, but it's so fun when the same thing happens, but in a way that's just like really surprising and delightful, right? Yeah, the good surprises. Yes, exactly. I'd say it's been about balance so far for me, which I think is it's that's all you can hope for, right? You can't expect better than that. Yeah, you have to go in a little bit blind and not, yeah, not have your expectations high because people, you know, you, they give you like two line descriptions, and you just have to like trust that you're going to learn something, and so you just leave yourself open to hearing whatever, you know? Yeah. You find another interesting one to talk about, Martha? Oh, oh, right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were all prepared. You're closing your was notebook. Was I that interesting? <laughs> Um, well, I guess there was the Indie Soapbox, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, uh, short talks, mm -hmm. about five minutes each. Um, there was 10 Indies and all talking about different things. Um, some of those are pretty good. One was talking about, uh, how you don't want to die when you're making your game. Um, and how you want to make sure. Pro tip, everybody. Yes. Don't die. Um, she was like, yes, everyone thinks that you're the, your first priority is to make great games. Actually, that's your third priority. Yeah. <laughs> First priority is don't die. Second priority is keep, don't die so you can keep making better and better games. And mm -hmm. then your third priority is making games. There was a, a guy from Cleveland. You're looking at me like I know. <laughs> he's from Ohio. Uh -huh. um, and he's an indie musician as well as an indie developer. Oh, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and he was comparing uh, indie musicians and indie game devs and how it'd be cool for people to work together mm -hmm. um, and because they're very similar and how it'd be cool to make, make a, have a local band make music for your game and then go on tour with that band. I was like, that's awesome. All right. Well, I guess, I mean, we talked about a lot of these, but we could go on and on, but like, let's not do that. Instead, let's talk a little bit of what we're looking forward to. Do you, I, I say this n now I'm realizing that I have not checked the schedule. Neither have I. Yeah. Similarly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting point is like I wanted to plan out everything and I planned out almost nothing. Um, I kind of just a couple minutes before each session, I just pick between one or the other. Um, and then when you get there, you have different feelings like, oh, I wanted to do this VR one. But you know what? I went to three VR ones already and I think I'm good. I wanted to do this second choice one that I had. Oh, wait, but I plan to walk from here to here. And there's all the logistics about it. And. I always feel like I end up not preparing enough, but nothing I do will prepare me better. Right, exactly. Like it's it's better to not prepare and save yourself that grief because yeah, you won't know how you feel at the end of that session, especially right, right. if it's something that you thought you were going to learn later on, and then you discover, you know, like you said, you know, mm -hmm. you go into a session and what you get out of it isn't necessarily yeah, what you yeah. were expecting. You may just already have that knowledge or <laughs> have that in spark of inspiration that you had felt. Yeah, yeah. I found it uh, helpful this year. Um, I was talking to Alex too, and he he seemed to have a similar process. Where a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, I went through all of the talks and like went through the process of having to log in a bazillion times because the website's kind of broken, <laughs> um, and like marked down which ones I was interested in. Uh -huh. And then then now on the app on the phone, as I go through each day, I have a pared down list already of ones mm -hmm. that I have to choose between. Which, as a person who has a hard time choosing, is like. Now I have three instead of ten to choose yeah, from. Right, right. I yeah. did something similar, but I think I did. I did that initial paring down so long ago 
that I don't trust myself. So I, I'm like, oh, well, these are the two I was interested in, but I better check them all again five minutes before it starts just in case. I'm like, I'm really terrible. <laughs> and most of my preparation was just convince yourself not to buy a Nintendo Switch. Don't get in line. You're at GDC. Don't buy a Switch. So, Well, if you did, we could play with it, Dylan. <laughs> That's the sound of me wanting a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I don't even like Zelda, man. <laughs> right, and that's pretty much that's the uh, that's the flagship that's title, yeah. The that the game uh-huh. on the Switch right now. Well, I mean, that's a bit of news this week. Nintendo announced a bunch of indie games uh, in a video presentation. I watched it while waiting for a session this morning. Um, but like Tower Falls coming, Overcooked is coming. What yeah. with spe- Over- with special uh, features and DLC, Stardew Valley, Stardew Valley with, what? with multiplayer. So multiplayer is going to be first on first Switch. on Switch. Dylan, we have to get a Switch. <laughs> yeah, I know we have to get two Switches so we can both play Stardew. Dylan, Valley. we have to get two Switches. <laughs> well. Some of us are at GDC, so start saving. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, we'll we'll talk more about uh, the switch later in this episode, or we might split it into two episodes. We're it's getting kind of long. We'll yeah, see. it is. Um, I want to talk about one more thing though before we go. Today, I went to an Oculus event. Uh, they showed off a couple of games um, and had some dev relations people there, and it was a pretty low key kind of thing. Um, but I played a couple of ga- upcoming games. Cool to play some unreleased things. And it's weird because like here at GDC, there's a lot of developers showing off games to other developers. And so it's difficult to know. Like it, it felt like I was going to a consumer event at this thing, but ostensibly it was they invited developers to come try these things. But I think the the people who were there showing off their games thought kind of felt like everyone who was there was someone was was their audience to buy them. And so it was kind of like a, it was sort of unclear what the point of it was, but I got to play some VR, so it wasn't so bad. Yeah, that's kind of how I played some of the games at the Intel booth. Yeah. And that's kind of how it felt where it was weird because it's, you know, ostensibly run by Intel, but it ended up being sort of, yeah, essentially like I, I, so I played uh, the Star Trek Bridge Simulator and Robot Recall. Oh, wow. Um, Oh man, I went to a, 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 um, a session about Star Trek VR and I am like, I will buy you all Oculus headsets if you play Star Trek VR with me. That's, so yeah, that's my dream. That's, my, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. So, And the, the, at, the, at the presentation, they, they said, who has had a chance to try the demo? And it was a room of like, you know, 200 people. Two people raised their hands because there just have not been demos of this thing. It was supposed to be at Oculus Connect and wasn't because it got delayed again. But you mm-hmm. got to try it. Yeah, I did. Oh, and I'm it so was, jealous. Uh, yeah, it was really good. It wasn't. So they have like they have a setup with four like uh, Oculus uh, headsets yeah. but they're not connected mm-hmm. so it's it's just essentially like a little tutorial where you go through all the positions on the bridge and uh, it was yeah I mean it was, it was exactly what I had hoped it would be you know it's very <laughs> uh, very it's a lot of menus and a lot of moving little switches and dials on yeah. a holographic board which yeah it was it was a good time mm-hmm. and because the other one I played was Robot Recall which is uh, but I just found myself in this moment where I, I was watching you know I'd, I'd already taken it off and I was watching another person play it while I was standing around um, and there, there was a moment where he sort of idly like reached over to a table where there are like you know tools he was using to cut apart this robot, mm-hmm. um, and picked up a, a coffee cup and looked at it in VR and then just casually tossed it aside. And like the casual humor, like the throwing a coffee cup is like that's the first thing we ever saw in VR. I feel like that's yeah, the, the yeah. kind of the moment you know seeing seeing the the very human reaction of just what is this? I don't need this. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it, it, yeah, it brought home that dichotomy between the seriousness of of the world that's constructed versus giving players agency in a very physical way provides this like so many avenues for unintended silliness. Right. Right. That's that uh, potential for mischief mm-hmm. without consequence. Right. right. And actually, you know, at that, you know, speaking of that seems to be, you know, that's pretty much absent. It feels like at least in the parts that I tried for the, the bridge simulator, because, yeah. because it is so much more of like a cockpit game. Right. Right. It's a lot more focused in that sense, mm-hmm. which yeah, I think absolutely works in its favor. It also heavily relies on role playing, right? And like mm-hmm. that you're meant to be the captain. And um, in the talk that I went to, it was really interesting because they were saying we had a lot of disagreements and 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 uh, um, debates about how to like mechanize a lot of these things. And in the end, they just had to decide to trust players to kind of like do it, like rather than like force them to. And like, well, if the captain doesn't give the right order. Or doesn't relay the to the crew the the bit of like exposition that only they got. Well, then they're just doing a bad job. 
And uh, this seems kind of like, well, of course, but I imagine when you're designing it, you, I mean, the last thing you want to you making a game hard is good, but making it frustrating is bad. And I think that they, they put themselves at a lot of risk when they just decide to like, okay, we just have these, all the buttons and switches, right? Right. Yeah. Cause just leaving that the way it is, yeah. you get space team. That's what you get. Yeah, is, exactly. <laughs> is just this sort of like, yeah, chaos and, and frustration, which uh-huh. you know is, is fine in space team, but not what you want from a Star Trek. Game. Right, right, right. Um, and when they, they talked about it, I mean, it was actually the, the, the session was about narrative about, about how to tell a story in this universe. And that's what I'm so interested in storytelling in VR, but not in like, like uh, VR video or VR, like Hollywood VR, which I think is just never going to take off. Mm-hmm. But like storytelling in VR games, I think is something that's untapped still. And so it was really interesting to talk about like, yeah, we had this social social experience and how do we tell, like, do we have the Admiral come on screen for exposition? Well, people, under, they know that from Star Trek. That makes sense. But when you have four people, they're not all going to pay attention. So we had to do it a different way and like how to let the players tell their own stories and how to like, when they would get play tests together, they would have, the, the captain would give orders and everybody, the four playtesters didn't know each other. And yet they almost immediately believed that person was the captain. And they had fewer arguments than you would have on like, say like left for dead four player team or something because of the way that the game structures the missions and the, the roles for the players. It sort of forces them to role play, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, we've talked about on the show before that when a star Trek game can do that, like, you know, bonanza. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing that I really want out of it. Cause that's something that I find is, is, you know, one of the things that really engages me the most in games, you yeah. know, finding that, that sort of team dynamic. And even in situations like you were talking about left for dead. And I think, uh, another game that, that I have experienced that in is, uh, playing payday two back in the day, mm-hmm. um, where it requires people to be in communication. It requires people to know their role in a way that really, it gives you a, a really good feeling of accomplishment yeah. that, that just simple. Yeah. Like, you know, it, I, I've enjoyed being good at video games, but feeling like you've done something with as a team is something that I think, yeah, is really underexplored and that VR has a great potential for You know, that's a lot like, it's like what Jeff Gersman was talking about originally when, uh, when rec room came out for mm-hmm. the vibe and just the feeling of, interacting with with someone in VR and having them respond like in in a shared world in a sense or like in a shared understanding of stuff you know having that extra immersion really makes it that much more like touching meaningful to Uh you Um, and yeah that's something that I'm absolutely looking forward to just in VR in general but yeah especially for for Star Trek Bridge Simulator nice nice Martha will you join our crew live long and prosper (laughs) yeah we have to buy some more we gotta buy some Oculuses I just I want to set it up in a, a single space, you know, which is totally impractical. Like, <laughs> yeah, your your living room would be big enough. We just got to bring enough. Just rigs everyone to bring power their des- their yeah, desktops yeah. over. All yeah, right, we'll make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> land <laughs> party. We'll take silly pictures. That'll be fun. Oh man, definitely. And like, yeah, move move a couple chairs forward so the, the captain's sitting in position. Yeah, oh, absolutely. and then no one has to wear headphones, so just the spatial audio will be there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So Martha, two days in, as a developer, what are you most excited to do with the knowledge that you've gotten? Oh, I've gotten so many more ideas. Yeah. Which is a problem because I have a backlog of ideas. <laughs> but I guess I'm excited to have more confidence to actually start on one of my ideas. Yeah. Um, so because it's helping me clarify which ones are keep popping up at each talk. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Nice. All right. Well, I think I think that's it for now. But we're not done with GDC yet. We're not even halfway through, and so we'll be. Uh, yeah, I think we'll split this into two episodes. What do you say? Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll talk more about the remainder of the conference and the awards, which are tomorrow night. Um, and uh, we'll get Steven online talk about the switch. We'll do a bunch of stuff in the next one. Um, but until then, Dylan, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you uh, here at the conference and here in the clubhouse. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's our show, half of it anyway. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. Especially if you're a new listener, if you met us at GDC, if you talked to Martha on the train, or you listened to us while in line to buy a Switch, uh, we need to know you're out there. So leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. 
Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice host, as well as all the links and notes from this episode, including information about and links to the games by all the folks Martha interviewed on the train at nicegames.club. Stay tuned. Uh, Later in the week, we're going to be doing the second half of our GDC special. We're going to talk to Stephen about the Switch. We're going to go over all of the stuff that Martha and I saw at the conference. And uh, it's going to get silly. We'll be very tired. Uh, You're going to like it. So stick around for that in a couple of days. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Until next time, remember to what, Martha? Make nice? No. That's my line at the end. <laughs> Live long ah. and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> Until we start again, remember to... Play nice. And make nice. Wait, I'm doing both of them? <laughs> yeah, Steven's not here to do the well, other can d- do- no, You can't just gesture to me like I know what to do. Okay, let's start this over. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>